Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. This year, we're turning the focus a little bit to three very unsuspecting characters that almost seem that they don't even belong in a Christmas story. Some of you may already know some of the things that I'm going to tell you today. Some of you may be surprised by some of the things I'm going to tell you today. I'm going to poke some holes in your childhood Christmas story. Um... Let me read the first two verses real quick. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Question, and I'm telling you it's a trick question. How many wise men were there? Did you know there is nothing in the Bible that tells how many wise men there were? Nothing in the scripture says that there were three of them. Now, traditionally, we have always said that there's three of them, but because there were three gifts. But this is not, this does not nail down the exact number of wise men that there were. Um, And I've got another surprise coming for you a little bit later in in the message. Um, but the first one is, nothing in the Bible says there was three of them. As a matter of fact, there are some traditions that say that there were three, and there are some traditions that say that there was 12. Now, um, we sing a Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. How many of you believed or thought that all three of these wise men were kings? They weren't. There were kings in the mix, but they weren't all kings. Uh, Nobody even knows exactly where they come from. It uses the word orient, um, but the word orient can be translated any place in Asia or Asia Minor. Well, that's a pretty large area, and that includes some of the area that's not right where Jerusalem's at, but not too far away from Jerusalem. History says that some of them came from a place called Seba, which was where the Queen of Sheba was from. Some traditions say that they came from Ethiopia, Arabia, India, Persia. They were from many different places. The tradition in Persia says that it was the Persian king that was included in with these individuals, But there were also individuals who were astronomers. What do astronomers do? They they not only look at the stars, but they they actually use the stars to translate a lot of stuff. Now, how popular was... Now, hear hear this question closely. How popular was the teaching of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in areas, countries, that were outside of Israel? How popular was it? It wasn't. 
some places have their god, and that was the god that they worshipped. Some places were, were uh, polytheists. We are monotheists, which mono means one. So we believe that there is one god. Some of these countries, like Ethiopia, they were polytheists, which means that there are many gods. Okay? So some of these magi would have been curious because it could have been one that they didn't want to forget because people who were polytheists were extremely superstitious. And they were always afraid that if they missed one God, the Romans were like this, they were always afraid that if they missed one God, that that God would be mad at them and whatever area of the world he was in control of, that he would have a negative effect on them. That's why um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, when it says that he actually went to um, Athens, and as he walked around the city, seeing all of the big statues and all of the all of the things of worship that they had around that he noticed that there was one that said this, that was a statue to the unknown god and it was literally because they were so superstitious that they were afraid that they'd forget a god so they actually erected a statue for one that they may have missed so that he wouldn't come and actually create some problems for them in life terrible situation for a Roman, I, could you imagine believing in so many gods that you were afraid you would honor, you wouldn't honor one of them, and that that would come back and to get you? I guess that's the way to spread the wealth. But anyway, some of these magi uh, came from places that had that type of a belief system. But I can tell you this: um, the astronomy or the astronomy was what recognized the star that was in the east. This was something that was significant. Some historians actually say that what's happening tomorrow night was actually what happened on the night of Jesus' birth, which is why they call it the Christmas star. Um, now, if it's, if it's a fact that that only happens once every 800 years, then this would have been an anomaly to someone who watches the stars, and it would have been something that would have made them extremely curious but I guess I'm going to have to let you in on this right now, and we'll cover it again when it gets a little bit farther down. Um, how many of you guys have gone to these, you've seen these manger scenes, and you've gone to even some of these, I'll even say like the walk through Bethlehem? And on the night of Jesus' birth, those magi are standing in the manger? Were they there? on the night of Jesus' birth? No. Jesus could have been as much as two years old when these magi showed up. Now, if you take a look at any of these places that I just mentioned, we're talking well over a year, year and a half, possibly up to two years for them to journey, of course, walking by foot, or if they were even on a, cor on a cart, it could have taken them a year and a half to two years to get from where they were and saw the star to where Jesus is at. And I would, I would be nearly impossible to convince that in these Magi's life, lifetime that any of them had traveled as far as they traveled to see what that star was about. Now this is symbolic. This is symbolic because all the way up until this point, the point of Jesus' birth, um, Judaism had been extremely exclusive. God is the God of the Old Testament. 
He is the God of the Jews. The gospel was not presented to the Gentiles or those individuals who believed in foreign gods, those individuals who lived foreign lifestyles, lifestyles outside of the law, lifestyles outside of the oracles of God, that was not available to them until Jesus Christ was born. But the amount of determination that it would have taken. Is there anything that has happened in any one of your lifetimes that would make you so curious that you would walk for a year and a half to find out what it was? Leave what's familiar? Leave security? Leave family? Leave prestige? Leave money? Leave everything about the lifestyle behind to travel a journey that could have taken these men up to two years to find what it was that they were looking for. You know what it sounds like to me? Sounds like what every one of us has been called to. Ever since this baby's birth, people have been called on a journey. A journey that will come with its complications. It will come with its difficulties. It will come with its inconveniences. But a journey nonetheless that leads us to a place where our curiosity is satisfied. You say, well, they was looking for Jesus. You know what? I'm still looking for Jesus. You say, well, you're a preacher. What do you mean you're still looking for Jesus? Just because Jesus found me doesn't mean that I've found him. Let me explain. I found him in the sense that I know that he's the source of salvation. But I have not found him when it comes to everything that I have to learn about him. You know how I'm going to learn more about Jesus tomorrow? Uh, On this journey, I'm going to have to look for him. Right? Sometimes that means that I'm going to have to leave my comforts behind. Sometimes that means I'm going to have to leave prestige behind. Sometimes that means I'm going to have to travel through difficult times, difficult areas, difficult regions. I'm going to have to face the elements. I'm going to have to face the consequences that this world has to hand to each and every one of us. And these men have done exactly that. doesn't matter how many there were. Because the message isn't in the number of them. The message is in the, is in the determination of them. Verse 3 says, And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, he sought nothing more than to protect his throne. To protect his heritage, to protect his wealth, to protect his position. And it troubled him that these three magi came and said that they came to worship the king. Herod's the king. What's Herod thinking? He thinks that everything that he has found his strength in has now been brought into a challenge. A challenge of another king.
Here's something that's interesting. I found very interesting. These men traveled for a year and a half to two years to find Jesus. How many Pharisees are religious leaders does the Bible record for us that made the distant made the journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see this Jesus? How many does the Bible record to us record for us that came? None. None. You know, I've said that in this modern day, I think that Phariseeism is just as much alive and well as it was 2,000 years ago. And I say that because there are so many people in this world who believe that they're righteous, even through them trusting in Jesus Christ, yet the righteous are not willing to even travel a short distance to try to find him. Who do you suppose learns more? The ones that are willing to make the trip? Or the ones that think they don't have to? Verse 4 says, In gathering together all chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, when I initially asked myself the question, all of these religious leaders, there's a possibility that they didn't even know. But what did that just say? Herod called the chief priests, the scribes to him, and he inquired of them what it was that these magi were talking about, and they quoted the prophet. They knew who the story said that this was. They knew where this baby would be born and still didn't make the journey to see the baby that was born in a manger. Verse 7 says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. I already kind of pointed this out, but I'm going to point it out again because that's the kind of guy I am. Herod calls the Magi to him, says, Hey, when did you see the star? And where was it? Why? Because I want to go and worship him too. Did Herod want to did Herod want to go worship Jesus? No, he did not want to go worship Jesus. What did he really want to do? He wanted to protect his lifestyle. He wanted to protect everything that he had acquired. He wanted to protect his title. He wanted to protect his wealth. He wanted to protect his power. And I asked myself, as I prayed over this message, how many of us go to church just to worship him? 
Now, I want to be very clear here. There is nothing wrong with coming to church to worship God and leaving encouraged. Nothing wrong with coming to church to worship God and leaving strengthened. But folks, you ask somebody, why do you go to church if there is any other answer under the sun except to worship the one who is worthy of my worship? Then the motivation for going to church is wrong no matter what the answer is. Why do you go to church? Why go to church to be encouraged? Wrong reason. Why do you go to church? Why go to church to get strength? Wrong reason. Why do you go to church? I go to church to recharge my batteries. Wrong reason. Nothing wrong with being encouraged. Nothing wrong with being strengthened. Nothing wrong with having your batteries charged. But folks, that's the result of the relationship and should not be the means of it. The church in this country, folks, has become so selfish. I don't even know what it smells like to God. Yeah, God can smell. Look through the scriptures, a lot of places where it says it's a sweet-smelling savor. That means it's somebody who, who trusts in him for who he is, somebody who worships him for what he's done, people who are truly grateful for what it is that he's done for us. God, in his throne room, takes a deep breath through the nostrils, and it smells so good. But I wonder what his church smells like when everything that it's out for is for itself. How many people who trust in Jesus, and folks, I'm not saying this to browbeat. I'm saying this so that we may understand the lives that we live we either live out of gratitude for him and who he is and what he's done. Or we live it for ourselves. I know many people personally who either went to church or goes to church for what they get out of it. One of the things that leaves such a bad taste in my mouth over church hoppers, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong, there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with leaving a church. In some cases, I would encourage it. If preachers are preaching things that are not true, if they're preaching things that are heresies or heretical, I would never encourage somebody to stay there. But when somebody leaves the church over the music, or leaves the church over the color of the carpet, or leaves the church over the color of the curtains, leaves the church over anything, except for doctrinal accuracy. What does that say about us? What would we do if God ever sent us to a church that he truly wanted us at, but there was nothing about that church that we personally liked? Would we do what he wanted us to do? Or do you think people do what they want to do? We'll get into that just a little bit more, a little bit further down. 
Herod. He wanted to worship the baby. That's not true. He wanted to kill the baby. Verse 9 says, And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Three gifts. As I said before, this is why we traditionally, as Christians, say that there were three wise men. Doesn't mean there were three wise men, but traditionally, for the sake of saying so, that's why we believe it. Imagine being these men who just walked a year and a half to two years. And as they moved, the star continued to move with them. I mean, how long would it take before you would honestly start saying, come off it, star, stop moving already? Well, that day came for them. The day came where they saw the star and that it had stopped. They knew that what they had been looking for was close. It was in sight. Now you would think with all the stories being told and even with our wild imaginations that we would be looking for something extremely significant. And how many of you guys, after following this star for a year and a half to two years, finally getting to where you're at, and you find a baby in a barn? You think anticlimactic? Not to them it wasn't. Because to them, they had found what they were looking for. And they were tickled to death over it. I know that... I know that all of us have... We have picked up nuggets along the way on this road of life. How many of you have really... How many of you have really found what you're looking for? Man, I haven't. Do you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for the fulfillment of that promise of eternal life. I'm looking for that time of no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness. I'm looking for that time. And I've had people ask me, atheist acquaintances ask me, they say, what if you show up and heaven is nothing like you pictured it in your mind? It's a good question. I thought it kind of took me back for a second, made me think about something I never thought about before. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't have to be anything like I pictured it. It only has to be like God promised it. 
Because how many of us don't have pictures of grandeur when we look at... I mean, I have questions. I have... What color is pure gold? Anybody tell me? If you remove 100% of the impurities out of gold, what color is it? It's clear as glass. Did you know it won't even harden? It's actually the impurities in gold. That's why you, you notice that the more pure gold is, the softer it is. If all of the impurities were removed from gold, it will not even harden. Streets of gold. Streets of pure gold. When John described, when he described heaven, the new Jerusalem, there were 12 founder stones. Those stones were made of gems, each one of them. The Bible also tells us that the gates What are they made of? Pearls. Pearly gates. Revelation tells us that the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, and that its walls are clear as crystal. It speaks of Jesus sitting on his throne and underneath that throne emulating a a bright emerald colored light. Could you imagine a bright green light inside a crystal 1,500 miles square? I mean, my brain takes a deep dive in that stuff because I just can't even imagine a, a green light inside a crystal that's 1,500 miles square with different colored gems at each foundation stone with pearls as gates. Sound pretty? Well, what if we show up and it doesn't look like that? Honestly, with everything you've been promised, would it make a difference? No. (laughs) These magi, it didn't make a difference to them either. So it was a baby in a feeding trough, in a barn. They still fell to their knees and worshipped him. Because they didn't worship where he was. They didn't worship what he had. They worshipped who he was. And they worshipped more than that who he, who he would be. And they brought him three gifts. And they are very significant. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Each one of these represented something. Gold. If you remember in the book of Revelation, when it speaks about Jesus and describes him, it says that he has on him a golden breastplate. That golden breastplate, I mean, how good do you think gold is for armor? You think gold makes a good armor? Gold doesn't make a good armor. It's too soft. 
Gold was what kings wore. It showed their position. It showed their authority. It showed their dominion. It showed Jesus Christ's deity. Frankincense. Why do people burn incense? I mean, if you were younger, the answer would be to cover up the smell of the marijuana. But that's not the answer I'm looking for. It was because it smelled good. The frankincense was represented of Jesus Christ's lifestyle. His perfection. His perfection making him the only one worthy to accomplish what God had sent him to accomplish. And how did that smell to God and to all of the people who believe? It smelled good. Myrrh. Probably better known today as embalming fluid. Myrrh was what they wrapped the cloth in before they wrapped the body of someone who had passed. It represented the sacrifice and the death that Jesus Christ would experience at the end of his 33 and a half year life. I'll try to read quickly through this next part. Eleven says, They came into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own, they departed to their, for their own country by another way. Who was the one in power? Well, Herod was the one in power, right? Herod wasn't the one in power. God was. And even though these magi had been told by the king, the one who had the power to take their very life, you come back to me and report to me. When God told them, don't go back to the king, go home. Who did they obey? They obeyed God. 13 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs for two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. How do we know that it took them a year and a half to two years to make the journey? Because if Jesus was a newborn, Herod would have only commanded the death of newborns. But he killed every child up to the age of two. Verse 
how far was he willing to go to protect his lifestyle? How far are we willing to go to protect ours? Last Sunday, the message that I preached, I hope that everyone received that word as I intended it. But this message is just another message that, to be honest with you, tells us exactly why we're supposed to do what it is that we're supposed to do, and that is worship the baby born in Bethlehem. And we should be people who are becoming more and more aware or constantly or consistently aware Do we really come to worship him? Do we come to satisfy ourselves? Do we live our lives for him? Do we live our lives for ourselves? Because those aren't difficult questions to answer. These magi, these magi were individuals worth looking at, even though they were people who were from faraway foreign countries. Because them not even knowing anything except for stories told were willing to go as far as they were called to go no matter how long it took to get there. And they understood the significance. Who should be more aware? People in foreign countries who worship foreign gods For the people who have bowed their knee before the Lord and have said that they surrendered their life to him. Hate religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. It's a hate strong word. It is. Don't take it lightly when I use it. When I do use it, I mean it. We've not been called into a religion. We've been called into a relationship. And the life we live is not a live where we try to reach God. The life we live is the life that recognizes that God tried to reach us. And that's a significant difference. Where are you this Christmas? Are you just a short journey away and not curious enough to even look? Are you recognizing that no matter who you are, you're still a long ways off and that there are things to find out on this journey and the journey has called us to walk? Are you looking for the fulfillment? of the promise that came through that baby that was born in Bethlehem, the star that was in the east? Is that the life you live every day? Walking that road, making that journey, hoping that hope? Because I believe wholeheartedly, folks, that when Jesus said that he came to bring life at its fullest, that that life can only be found for individuals who have truly dedicated themselves to him.
gratitude, worshipful. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to just listen to the Holy Spirit. If he moves you, then trust me, COVID shouldn't stop you. If you want to meet with me after church, I'm willing to do that. If you want to do it over the phone, if you want to yell at each other across the sanctuary, however you want to do it, I'll take whatever time is necessary to sit down and talk to you about it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, how many of you guys have those years where it just feels like it's not Christmas? I mean, I, I had some things that happened in my life that kind of made that happen. Like when my grandma passed away, Christmas changed forever. All of a sudden, you didn't realize what you had until you missed it. You begin to remember about the Christmas tree and the presents that were piled up next to it and the biscuits that you could knock your brother out with if you threw it across the room. Those little things that you'll never get back. And it took me a long time to realize that if my Christian, if, if my Christmases were based on my surroundings what I was familiar with I spent a lot of a lot of years missing the point great time to enjoy family any excuse to get family together is a good excuse to get family together but my hope and prayer is that you leave this place today worshiping Jesus and if you want it to feel like Christmas then all you need to do is remember remember who he is remember what he done Remember what he's promised and know that he will keep every one of them. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.